Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update on a Friday morning at JM and the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM and the AM. Thank you. It's great to be with you, Nachum, and to congratulate Gabriella Bach and Ephraim Stein, two of the 40,000 who are running and raising money for very worthwhile Stuckholt, and uh, all of the others. We should note that most of the people, or many of the people, I don't, I don't think the uh, winner necessarily, but the others were <laughs> running on, with sponsorship to raise money for all different groups, uh, Shalva, and, um, et cetera. Yes, and congratulations to all of our uh, family, friends, uh, staff members, etc., who completed their own course. And Malcolm, this is the only time that we like to see people defeat the streets of Jerusalem to over <laughs> to overcome the amazing obstacle that Jerusalem can be when one tries to run and one tries to make it through their own course. So, uh, congratulations to the forty thousand plus. Um, well, you know what our concern is. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of concerns out there. <laughs> It's been a busy week, but yesterday we learned about these uh, two rockets fired from Gaza in the direction of and right over Tel Aviv. Uh, What can you tell us uh, the latest in terms of the episode and the latest in terms of Israel's response? Well, the latest uh, news, obviously, is that uh, Israel has taken this very seriously, and the um, response, from what I've seen now, has been uh, very strong with about 100 um, different responses to the um, to this attack because this crosses a really serious red line. It's the first time in five years that rockets hit uh, the Tel Aviv area, and although they didn't do any damage, the um, there were also uh, nine rockets fired at um, border towns, and the um, uh, you know there's a question among some of the military people about whether there was an intention to hit Tel Aviv or whether it was a mistake. But what, what was interesting to me is that uh, the debate over who was responsible with each side blaming the other, Hamas blaming Tij, the Palestinian Islamic Jihad, and Palestinian Jihad blaming Hamas. In fact, almost immediately, uh, Hamas Interior Ministry came out with a statement saying that, that denouncing the attack, and then you had both sides issuing denials of responsibility when usually they jump to claim responsibility for every attack that takes place, even if they had nothing to do with it. And the, um, you know, they recognized the severity and understood that there would be a very strong response, as Israel must, not because there's an election, as people cynically say, and I don't know who's the beneficiary. I think it can go both ways when you have, you know, Gantz pointing to the fact that he is that of his four top leaders, three are former chiefs of staff of the IDF, and that they will be the security guarantor. And Bibi, of course, has always run as the security prime minister. So this is a you know a serious maneuver. It shows their capability, which I think is is another message that Hamas has the ability to hit the targets. Initially, people were concerned that this came from the north, but um, but it's clearly understood today that that is is not the case so we'll still learn more about it but this is uh, they didn't fire the iron dome as people said it would these both uh, uh, landed in in no man's areas uh, there's maybe an additional one that landed in gaza itself it's funny because it, when you say they didn't use iron dome you mean the ones for the two over tel aviv right 
because it's funny the the videos the videos that we were so I thought the same thing, but I got several emails saying to me that in fact it wasn't that it wasn't necessary. Um, they may have exploded on their own. You know, they they just expired right. when they condemned or well, I forgot what the word you used. When they you know made sure that they were not held responsible, meaning the terrorist groups for the ones over Tel Aviv, did they also, did they also condemn? Uh, the ones that were not over Tel Aviv, the ones that were in the in areas that we would think they were more likely to try to hit. Well, that came later. That came as a response to the yeah. Israel's response, which is always, you know, it becomes a tit for tat, and they have to show that they are responding to it. And what's the benefit of Israel either agreeing or establishing and then announcing that it was likely an accident? I don't know. It just it seems a strange strategy to me. Like, why say anything in terms of? You know, what Israel does or does not believe really happened in terms of what the enemy was trying to do. Yeah, you know, until they really know. But they, they, they're clearly getting messages from the, uh, from the launch sources uh, that uh, are trying to send a message. So it's A, it calms down the population in Tel Aviv to know that they're not really the target, that this was, you know, a one-off, that it's not something that they're going to be, that's going to be happening regularly. Right. And, um... Um, you know, so that that mitigates some of the the impact. Yeah, the fear, I guess. Then of course, the ongoing fear, and you know, there are a lot of conferences, conventions. People then say, "Well, if Tel Aviv is going to come under fire, and right. et cetera." So you you try to minimize the concern. You know, for for many people, I think six people were hospitalized with shock. For many people, and I got phone calls immediately about it. Um, it was it was again uh, you know traumatic having to go back after years of not experiencing right. it that it it happened again is this um, is disconcerting for them and then there's the whole issue of Israeli reaction you know separating Tel Aviv from the rest of the country and you know why would we be more concerned or deal with it differently in the aftermath because it's Tel Aviv compared to other areas that are hit on a consistent basis I'm sure that went through your mind as well. It, it, well, it does because, but first of all, when you have such a densely populated area, right. yeah, that becomes, that. Um, you know, the damage that it can be done and the number of people hurt can be much greater. And, you know, there is a symbolism about attacking a major city. The same thing would be true. They don't attack Yerushalayim because of fear of hitting one of the holy sites. Right. Uh, and uh, knowing the response that would be true, I think, everywhere for, for that kind of an attack uh, meaning by rockets, uh, so you have a. I mean, there is a, a message when you hit the place where the IDF is located, the headquarters of the IDF, et cetera, um, for for the citizens as well as for the leadership. It's right. a challenge. Yeah, I hear that. All right, uh, it's now March fifteenth on the ninth of April. Uh, that's when the Israeli election is going to be taking place. Uh, the New York Times this week made a big deal about the Donald Trump Bibi Netanyahu relationship. Um, if in fact, and they conjectured about the role that the President of the United States might play, because remember, Bibi is coming to this country for APAC and likely for some type of state visit uh, at the White House, uh, whatever form it takes. Um, and they conjectured about the um, influence that Donald Trump, the president of the United States, might have on the Israeli election, especially because we know how popular Trump is in Israel. Now, is is it possible that before the election there will be some gift from Washington in terms of um, 
uh, the United States recognizing Israel's right to the Golan Heights and uh, essentially calling for annexation of the Golan Heights? Well, it's not, it's not enough time, uh, I think, to actually get it through. But but they gave the gift this week with uh, the report in which Golan is is called Israeli-controlled and not Israeli-occupied okay. territory. And there were statements by uh, Senator Graham, Lindsey Graham, who visited the Golan together with uh, the prime minister and said that he would fight for a resolution. And the continued attacks and the threat posed by Iran and the new discovery of a Hezbollah encampment inside one of the villages and the um, increasing attempts to encroach on the Golan and to to threaten the population there. Uh, This is not... The first time, by the way, the reports that Iran had hacked Gantz's phone also yeah, made I saw headlines. That. <laughs> but the the um, the big story, obviously, was w- what they were doing on the on the Golan, and the um, you know they they also found that that uh, one of the leading terrorists who was responsible for attacks against American troops in Iraq, including one that killed uh, five American uh, soldiers. Uh, was was uh, back in in the the Golan General Go, Golan uh, area, and so that already ro- you know raised um, people's uh, concern. A, the British had captured him, and after five years released him, and now he's back in the terrorist, which shows that the recidivism rate is is very high, as has been um, uh, talked about before. They also found that the um, another installation in Syria of Iran to to build missiles. So Israel's ability to to react in the and to use the Golan, protect the Golan, and use it as a forward base against the encroachments in Syria. That need continues all the time because we, we see that Iran's um, intentions are, remain the same, even though there's supposedly the funding for for Hezbollah has gone down and. Nasrallah has been making um, appeals, um, but the the um, uh, senior Hezbollah operative has been working this new terror cell. Uh, his name is uh, Abduk, and he is the guy who killed the five servicemen, I think it was in 2007. So this is a um, you know, continuing uh, central front and the recognition by the United States at this uh, of the of Israel as of Israel's controlled territory in the Golan, I think is a is an important step forward. Wow! Uh, by the way, just back to the gift for a moment. You know, a, a gift is not really a gift if no one knows about it. I hear what you're saying in terms of you know occupied being switched to controlled, but you know a real dramatic you know April surprise would be a massive statement you know with a prime minister in front of him by the president of the United States you know state department language is a great gift but probably no israelis know about it you know what i mean well every israeli knows this because it's the front page of every newspaper really? in israel that and language thing was a front page news about the about israeli controlled yeah. territory Hundred percent. That's a big. That's a big story because they changed the language in one of the, in the reports that they issued about the West Bank, but it's, it last year. Uh, but this, this is big news everywhere in Israel. Unbelievable! I didn't realize that. All right, so I guess you're right then. The president or whoever. <laughs> well, that doesn't mean that there isn't more coming, and that when Bibi gets here, that uh, there may not be 
something you know Pence was in the region visiting the region and um, there are a lot of uh, exchanges taking place and and of course uh, we think Mr. Trump would like to see his friend Netanyahu we called a strong leader this week uh, be reelected so there it's very uh, it's very possible and if you've seen that uh, Jason Greenblatt statements this this week very strong right. on on putting the onus on the Palestinians for rejecting the money that Israel gives minus the uh, money they withholding, which is about $11 million. They turned down $150 million, he pointed out, and uh, challenged uh, some of the traditional critics, saying that, that if you really care, if they cared about the Palestinian people, that this would be uh, the response and the fact that that the leader, Abu Mazen, refuses to stop funding the terrorists and the murderers and the killers. And this is, um, uh, you know, really this is so astonishing when you, you give the price your people are paying, and then you take those who kill and in in the most outrageous way, convicted terrorists who get these these big um, payoffs, and and all the money that's being deducted is equal to the amount that that they're spending on this. And I don't know that any country in the world would tolerate this in, in a different way. Yeah. So. You know, I think the administration has been standing up uh, to that commitment. Amazing. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at com and the NachumSegal Network, and, of course, in the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. We are going to... Uh, to we'll, we'll break uh, later on and drop earlier because Rabbi Uden's coming up, and then we get to speak with him live via telephone about the big 50th anniversary celebration. By the way, a lot of this is timing, like like you know what isn't timing, right? A lot of this is timing. I I conjecture. I, I have not looked this up. I should have had somebody do this for me, but I believe that this is the first time that this period of the year. Right, Purim, Pesach, March, April, APAC, Passover. I think it's the first time that there's been an Israeli election. Are they traditionally, or haven't they been by coincidence, in the second half of the secular calendar year usually? Well, this was scheduled for November, but no, the elections often take place in this period. I mean, I can tell you because when we have our annual visit, the, the delegation of the Conference of Presidents has right. this, so that's a big conference before. in Israel in February, always. There have been several times in recent years that we were in the middle of an election campaign. I mean, the last one, obviously, was Netanyahu right. almost four years ago, which is very unusual because the average Israeli government lasts two and a half years. And that was also this time of year? As I recall, it was. It's funny because I don't remember APAC becoming such a you know a, a big campaign spot. And I think every major candidate in Israel has said or has at least slotted themselves or had APAC slot them for a major address. Yeah, but I think the election was in it was in February, so they already uh, were it. over it. And also, APAC often was later in the year. But um, right. it's just going to be interesting because we've really, I mean, to only to a only to a certain degree. Have we over here felt the Israeli campaign? And between the the uh, affection that the President of the United States has for the Prime Minister, and the fact that he's obviously inviting him to Washington, and the fact that APAC is now really turning into a platform for campaign speeches, it seems, during that week after Purim, we really, in this area especially, meaning the Northeast, we're really going to feel this Israeli election campaign to, to a degree that I don't think we felt before. Well, I think people are feeling it for a variety of reasons. One, 
because of the scandals and the you know the charges against the prime minister, so that anything that scandalizes things in Israel gets gets attention, and that Israel is a megaphone, meaning that anything that's said in Israel gets broadcast here, distorted often, but the you know the fascination with Israel is incredible. You'd think that uh, all of the other countries in the world that have elections, nobody could tell you who a candidate is. But I think in many cases, many don't know who the vice president of the United States is, but they'll often know who Bibi is, right. or at least to be able to identify the country. And the, uh, you know, the system is a different one. And because of that, people are, are interested in and the um, I think the, the BDS campaign, the issues around anti-Semitism, these also uh, highlight uh, Israel more and Jews, and therefore more attention is paid. And and everything that is done, I mean, things that in most countries nobody would pay attention about, you know, what minority party they bring into the into the coalition, right. and yet in Israel, everything becomes big news. Yeah, and and you also have this impression that this time you have a really close race. That's right, and, uh, you know, it keeps flipping back and forth, as I said, you know, early on, that it was much too early to see. Mm-hmm. We'll have to see. Blue and white has its own in- internal tensions. The Likud certainly has, but it looks like the Likud party is, is beginning to come together with the people... Um, I saw Sar said some things in defense of the prime minister, and others did. So um, it's um, you know the the, the the process. Even though there's only a few weeks left, I think everybody would agree that it's uncertain exactly who will be able to form a coalition. Right now, the right seems to have the edge, but that keeps moving back and forth. And now there's a new announcement. The Attorney General is looking at the submarine affair, which was considered the most dangerous for Netanyahu, that they're reopening it based on other information. Oh, boy. So there's a, you know, there are a lot of unknowns in, in all this. And I don't know how a security threat like the rockets, yep. does it raise questions or does it rally the people behind what they know versus what they don't know? Yeah. All right. You mentioned anti-Semitism. I've, I've got to interject for a second. This coming Sunday, in Queens is a rally to stand up for the Jewish people and speak out against anti-Semitism at the Vlai Place Library in Kew Gardens Hills. Elected officials and religious leaders will be there. Everyone, please try your hardest to be there at 1 p.m. in Queens this Sunday. And Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney and community leaders will be speaking out at a rally against anti-Semitism at Asphalt Green, 1750 York Avenue at 91st Street this coming Sunday at 2 p.m., there's been a sharp spike in anti-Semitic hate crimes in New York, including one at Asphalt Green last week. Uh, the reason I mention these in this context, uh, Malcolm, is aside from the fact that obviously you and I have discussed this as a very important topic over the last few weeks, is because we need to keep a scorecard. Everybody needs to keep a scorecard of which public officials are appearing at rallies like this. Because uh, even even if they are you know advantageous politically, still in this atmosphere it takes a little bit of guts to be out there with the Jewish community and with those who uh, respect the Jewish community to speak out. So, for instance, Carolyn Maloney, you know, get gets a you know get some credit for what's going to be happening this coming Sunday. And every government official who does not speak out, we should note, and those who do speak out on these topics, we should take note of them. I agree 100 percent. Carolyn Maloney actually has been working on the anti-Semitism issue, introducing legislation about education, et cetera, uh, for some time. 
um, and the statements we've seen from uh, Gottheimer and Zeldin and Deutsch and um, Nita Lowy and uh, Elliot and others, they should be thanked. Yep. And the silence of others should be noted and, and uh, remarked upon. And, and, you know, this issue is far from over. We have to be smart in our responses. Uh, I think, you know, any manifestation that's done the right way is, uh, is uh, worthwhile and important. And it, but it's important that, that it's non-Jews who speak out, because we're not the problem. We're the victims, but we're not the problem. The problem is that society has to take a, a strong stand, and every level of government has to take count. I know that there was an event yesterday with the police department in, in Bushwick hey, looking good. at the assaults against Jews and others, and you saw the neighborhood rally together, uh, both Jews and non-Jews, uh, I'm told. But the um, but the fact is that the number of physical assaults here in New York and elsewhere has increased. The NYPD takes it seriously, but there has to be constant pressure and an ongoing vigilance about this. It's um, you know it's not going to go away. Keep track, everybody. Which of the local government officials? are making statements and appearing at these demonstrations against anti-Semitism and which ones are not. By the way, I know this isn't a big issue, but I just have to, I got to mention it. Um, you saw Miri Regev eliminated, wants to eliminate the uh, diaspora. Yeah. Tour. Yeah, okay. I mean, look, I know I'm somewhat biased because I think that I'm in the diaspora and still really do have a close connection to Israel. But I don't know. I, I, I think symbolically, if we are going to declare and believe that really Israel is the homeland of all Jews anywhere in the world and they're all welcome there, I think it's a mistake to do that. What, what she did. Yeah. Yes, it was a mistake. It's not her first, and I think it's, uh, I don't know why the necessity of going to public announcements about it, yeah. but she, um, you know, she, the process by which that was done was certainly questioned for a long time, and uh, it um, it was an unnecessary, another one of those unnecessary things. Uh, there was a meeting this week with uh, American officials and the King of Jordan, correct? That happened this week? Yes. Uh, now, does that help with the Harabayat situation, or it's irrelevant to the Harabayat? Well, they've been meeting with Israelis to talk about the Shah uh, Rachim, um, the Golden Gate uh, controversy. As, as people know, it was closed for many years, and then they busted through. But the, the problem was that they started putting rugs and uh, to make turn it into a, another mosque, a prayer place. And once it's a mosque, you can't take it down. And this is an area that... Um, and Thank God that the Israeli police and others interceded, uh, because once they put a roof on it, even if it's temporary uh, uh, and the rugs are down and they're praying, that's done. Then it's a mosque. And when Israel took over the Temple Mount in 1967, there were there was one mosque there. There are now, I think this was number six. Wow. So it's not because they need another prayer place. It's meant to be an attempt to, to show that they control it and to increase their footprint and there there is an area there where much of the a lot of the uh, of debris and dirt that was taken when Arafat destroyed the area which the sifting project is based on well that same material some of it was left on the temple mount in that area and that's never been sifted through and nobody has had a chance to go through it because there's still after 10 years going through the stuff that was uh, put in the, in the dump, and so many discoveries, thousands of things have been found there. 
So this is, um, is a very important area, and Israel has to say there are rules, and if they, otherwise they will just continue to, to expand their control, eliminating the chance for exploration, for archaeological work. But more importantly, it's, it's asserting sovereignty and control and violating the status quo. Uh, isn't it fascinating watching Polish officials continue to be insulted by what they conjecture was an insult by the Prime Minister of Israel regarding Poland's role in the Holocaust? Well, the President of Poland said, I think yesterday, to Yaakov Katz of the Jerusalem Post that, um, you know, whoever started the problem has to end it. It was Israel that started it, the controversy, and they have to end it. There's nothing Israel can do to end it. I mean, Israel can't lie. We can't obfuscate. Uh, you know, I don't want to see this controversy continue because not much is happening from it. But at the same time, you can't have the kind of revisionist history that that process uh, initiates and can lead further and further. You know, saying that the um, these were Nazi concentration camps is okay in Poland, but to, to exculpate and say that, that uh, Poles didn't have any role in it, you know, goes too far for, for and historians and others have been protesting it. And they are now making it a political issue, and it starts rallying people around it. The relationship between Poland and Israel has been very good. Um, so we'll see. But, yeah, they don't give up on it. Yeah, they don't give up is right. And it's amazing to see how sensitive they are about it. Sometimes you think that uh, their sensitivity might just be because of the the tremendous burden of guilt that they feel. Um, you know, they're being accused of, uh, well, accused. It's being cited how, you know, their role in the Holocaust and uh all of a sudden, they're taking offense to it. Uh, I don't know if they would take this kind of offense if historically they they behaved differently during World War II. Frankly, um, the um, uh, the uh, the um, uh, I totally lost my train of thought there for a second. Um, oh yeah, the, the 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 new situation, or now the current situation this week with the American consulate, embassy, etc. Essentially, just all been consolidated now. Into, into one building in Jerusalem? Would that be the way to put it? Well, I think it's rationalizing it. There was a, you know, a long time that people felt that it was an anomaly, that the only consulate in the world that didn't report to an embassy was in Jerusalem, and it was considered the Palestinians' uh, embassy. Uh, and now the uh, facility, they consolidated their operations in, in the embassy, which is not just a short distance away. There's talk that maybe that could become the ambassador's uh, future residence. It's a beautiful place. I've been in it many times, in a beautiful building, uh, very old. Um, and it, it, But it's another statement. And, of course, the Palestinians objected um, angrily to it and said that they won't go to the uh, U.S. Uh, embassy in, in, uh, in Jerusalem. Uh, they can still go to Tel Aviv for consular services if they get there. But the um, you know, it's it, it's certainly on a symbolic level and maybe on a practical level, very important statement. And all the fear that uh, that was going around in terms of what type of reaction there would be and how much violence would sprout up because of moves like this, it uh, doesn't seem like any of that ever materialized. Right, and what we saw in the last couple of weeks, um, more and more places, Hungary, others opening the trade facilities, uh, which have, with diplomatic status, and to their precursors, their governments have said to a recognition into opening an embassy in in Jerusalem, and and supposedly there's another country that's uh, going to do it. Bolsonaro of, of Brazil is coming there, and he spoke during his campaign about opening embassy, but he said no decision has been made, so it's not 
likely that he'll do it before he gets there. Uh, but his visit is an important one, and he's been very outspoken pro-Israel and uh, supporter of Netanyahu. Uh, but supposedly there's another country that is uh, going to imminently, in, imminently announce uh, some presence in Israel, and, in Jerusalem. And that country's name starts with a... I don't know. <laughs> well, you do know. You just won't tell us, that's <laughs> all. Um, <laughs> oh, gosh, I, I'm completely losing it this morning here. Every every thought that comes into my mind, I can't remember what it was a minute later. Um, your, your locomotive's I, off the track. I'm telling you, I am totally, I, I, just had, I just had a great question. You're too excited about Rabbi Yudin coming <laughs> I just had a great question for you, and it completely escapes me now. It's unbelievable. About Iran, about the expansion of the Iran honoring oh, Soleimani. No, it was this one that I actually saw in your Daily Alert yesterday. So they go ahead, the United Nations. They have this commission of inquiry on Gaza. They are citing all the violations of Israeli soldiers and not a word about the activity of the other side in those episodes, right? Yes. It's amazing, I'll tell you. It's not amazing. It's the it's the rule. We're seeing it now. These are the weeks of the Human Rights Council and their reports. Thank God the report and the recommendation about blacklisting companies in the West Bank has been postponed. That's That was the one of greatest concern. But they still have the annual item just on Israel. It's the only country in the world that has its own item, and then they'll pass their you know, usual spate of uh, anti-Israel resolutions, which are not rooted in fact or anything else. And yet the real violators of human rights get, get away with it, that they, they appointed a woman to the Commission uh, on Women, which people are objecting to, but somebody representing the, um, uh, the government of the Iranian government and uh, the worst violators, and they're, they're, you know, all exculpated and everybody it gets uh, passed at the United Nations, but Israel, while all the promises about changing things, including by the head of UNESCO and by others, we see that uh, it still remains basically the, the same. And finally, did you see, um, I don't know if you read about it, but the Arab Crowd Conference, uh, Venture Capital Funding co- Conference last Thursday in Jerusalem, did you see how many people were there from the Far East? There were, yes, and I, I know some of them who were there. I got uh, emails from them, and it's uh, it's. Uh, I've talked about this for a long time about the increased numbers. The people generally don't respond, but they don't understand the implications of what it means that more than a hundred thousand Chinese are, are coming to Israel. That they are wanting to do business. You know, there's still the concerns about what it means and how they can carry it out, especially with the uh, Chinese company taking over the management of the ports. Uh, which the United States and others have objected to, the um, but the growing relationships with India, with China, with Japan, with uh, Vietnam uh, is really a remarkable story in and of itself. And there's not a week when you don't have a delegation coming, and sometimes multiple delegations coming to deal with Israel, and the same from Africa, from other parts of the world as well. Unbelievable. All right, I wish you a very happy Purim. We will... Uh... Yeah, to Rabbi Yudin now and uh, continue. Will you be sober next Friday so we can continue? Or... I, I see you've been told about my Shushan Purim regular <laughs> practice. Uh, most are asking if I'm sober during the general Friday morning uh, conversations, not during the Shushan Purim conversations, frankly. Uh, but anyway, you know how, you know how it is, Malcolm. If you want to, if you want to um, uh, observe the Israeli elections and get through it, it may not be a bad idea to take a drink while you're doing so. That may be the best That's piece. Strong of one, yeah. a very strong one. Anyway, have a wonderful shop, and, and we will speak Shushan Purim, right?
Yes. We will speak Shushan Purim, Bezrat Hashem. And a Shabbat Shalom. Malcolm Holine is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM in the AM.